Well, welcome to The Crossing. So good to see you today. And I want to welcome all those who are watching online and our microsites. Glad that you are a part of The Crossing experience. And how about the stage design? Pretty amazing, huh? Wow. We have an amazing group of volunteers that make these things happen. And so just so appreciative, just them using their gifts. That We are kicking off the Christmas season here at The Crossing, and today is our Christmas give. And this is one of the highlights for us of The Crossing. We've been doing this since the very beginning, 16 years ago. There are hundreds of kids here in Las Vegas and around the valley who will not get a Christmas present without you. And so what we have the opportunity to do is we're partnering with four different organizations, HopeLink, Head Start, West Care, and Project 150, and we're going to be buying gifts for these kids, and then their parents are going to be able to come and shop for their kids. We'll help them wrap their presents, and then the parents can give their kids gifts from them with dignity. And the next step for us, which is great, you can give that a hand is when you leave, we have these gift tags, and these gift tags have different ages on them for you to go and buy a child a gift, and then you bring it back next week unwrapped. And we also have gift card envelopes, and our gift cards are for our crossing families here. For the families who are struggling in our own church, it's going to help put food on their table and Christmas gifts under their tree. And so we'll bring all of those back next week. We'll put it in the lounge, and next Sunday, the lounge will be completely full of gifts because of your generosity just to make this a great season for so many families around the crossing. And today, as well, we're passing out our Christmas invites. We have six identical Christmas services on the uh, December 23rd and 24th. On the 23rd Friday, they're at 5 and 7, and then on Christmas Eve at 1, 3, 5, and 7. I feel tired just saying that. <laughs> this right here is your easiest inviting opportunity of the year. I hope you're thinking about and praying for who you're going to invite. Let me tell you what is so powerful about what Christmas services do for us. Is there are people in your life that you're like, I've always wanted to invite them. I've always wanted to make an invitation, but I just not had the courage to do it. Almost everybody is looking for a time to have a spiritual moment around Christmas. And this is your easiest inviting opportunity. And so you can take these cards, invite them to be a part of this. And uh, if you are able to avoid the 3 or the 5 o'clock service on Christmas Eve, if you're able to go to any of the other services, those will be our most full. And we want to make sure that everybody has a seat. And so if you're able to go to one of the other four services besides the three o'clock and the five o'clock, that would be great. If you invite somebody and they want to come to one of those, then you come and you sit with them. And then on Sunday, December 25th, we will not have services here, but we'll have a short online service that you can have for your family. And uh, we'll be putting that up on that day as well. Well, today we're launching our brand new Christmas series called Unto Us. And do you ever feel like you are around someone, but they're not fully present? A few weeks ago, I was with my family. We are in my living room. It was all my kids. They had their friends there. We had eight of us sitting in there, and I looked around, and every single one of us were on a device. Every single one of us were on a phone or a computer. It's like we were together, but not really together. We weren't really present with each other. And it's not just my kids. Last week, Darla and I, we went out to lunch, and as soon as we sat down in the booth, we pull out our phones to see what's going on in other people's lives. You know, we're, we're right with each other, but we're not with each other, and my guess is my family is not the only one that struggles with that. You probably do, too, that you can be around 
someone, but not be fully present. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 and just hold on to it. We're going to come to the scripture here in a little bit. But Christmas is the time where we have the opportunity to celebrate God's presence. God's presence in our life. 700 years before the birth of Christ, there was a prophecy about the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah writes to the nation of Israel, and it's a time where God's people were in trouble. Inside of Israel, it was full of materialism and greed and oppression of the poor. And outside of Israel, there was countries that were threatening to attack them. And Isaiah begins to write to his people and declare that God has a plan. And he tells the good news that God is coming to earth to be with them. Isaiah chapter 9, well-known verse, says this, for, for to us, or unto us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To understand the significance of Christmas, we have to understand the relationship that God had with his people before that. In the Old Testament, nothing was more crucial to the people of God than the presence of God. And they wrote songs like, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. They wrote songs like, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather hold the door in God's house than to have a seat where God is not present. See, God has always had this desire to be with his people. And it started out with Adam and Eve. With Adam and Eve, God had this community with them. He actually walked with them and talked with them. And as God spent time with them, he says, there's only one rule here in the garden. You can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. The only rule is that tree in the center of the garden. You cannot eat from that or you will surely die. And so Adam standing behind Eve lets her take the first bite of whatever that fruit is. It's like, if somebody's going to die, I want to see if you die first. You go ahead, you take that first bite. And for the first time, they were separated from God. And from that point, God has been on this relentless pursuit to get close to his people. Last week, we finished up a series on the life of Joseph of the Old Testament. Joseph was his dad, Jacob's favorite son. And because he was the favorite son, his brothers hated him, wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they decided to sell him to slavery to Egypt. And they went home and told their dad that he was dead. Well, through a series of events that only God could orchestrate, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, and he's tasked with preparing for a severe famine that's going to hit the world. Well, he ends up rescuing his own family, the family that sold him. He ends up rescuing them from the famine, and he brings them to Egypt, which is how the children of Israel ended up in Egypt. Well, fast forward 400 years. And Joseph is no longer in power, and the children of Israel have probably grown to somewhere between one and two million people at that point. And they're now slaves of the Egyptians, and they've been crying out to God to free them. And God chooses Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And first, after the ten plagues all happen, you remember the children of Israel go across the Red Sea. And as soon as they get onto the other side of the Red Sea, God wants his people to know about his presence. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. 
and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. That clouds became synonymous with the presence of God, that God's presence was represented through a cloud. The children of Israel would go to bed assured of God's presence, and when they woke up, God was still there. And day after day, they would follow this cloud. Let me just call just a time out here for a second. And let me ask you, when was the last time that you noticed the presence of God and you followed? When was the last time that you sensed that God was up to something and you trusted him? That God's presence was synonymous with a cloud. But God wants to get closer to his people. And they follow the cloud to the base of a mountain, a mountain called Mount Sinai. And God invites Moses to the top. This whole mountain is covered by this cloud at this point. It actually takes Moses six days to get to the top of Mount Sinai. In Exodus 24, 18, it says, Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up onto the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And God meets Moses there. And Moses is in the presence of God. That God's presence now is a mountain that's Mount Sinai. And after Moses has spent 40 days and 40 nights there, when he comes down, his face is so radiant, he has to cover it with a veil. Now, we don't know what that looked like. We don't know whether it glowed or whether he just had this really bad tan like George Hamilton or something like that. But everyone knew that he had been in the presence of God. And while God is close to Moses, he wants to get closer to his people. And God says to Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me. Now notice this. And I will dwell among them. And God gave the instructions for building the tabernacle. Maybe you've heard that term before, the tabernacle. You never knew what that meant. Well, don't let that intimidate you. The tabernacle was just a tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant. God says, build a place that I can dwell among them. That God wants to get close to his people. It says, in all the travels of the Israelites, Exodus 40, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. And if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. I love that phrase. In the sight of all the Israelites, God was training his people to notice his presence and to respond quickly. When's the last time that you noticed God's presence? And you were quick to respond. When's the last time that happened for you? That whenever they noticed the cloud move, they would pack up and they would move. Now, I'm having a hard time imagining this because I'm really not a big fan of camping. When our kids were little, we used to take them tent camping. So we'd all kind of crowd into that tent. And you know how that is. If you get stuck in the back in the middle of the night and you got to go to the bathroom, it's just a bad thing. So we bought a tent trailer. You know, our tent trailer had a queen-size bed and it had a stove and had a refrigerator. And I'm like, okay, this is the, as roughing it as I can get. For the Israelites, there was no tent trailers. There was no RVs. That they, when they saw the crowd moving, they would pack up their tents and they would see where God was taking them next. But God's desire was to get closer to his people. And the tabernacle was God making a way to dwell with his people. 
Because God's presence started with the clouds. And then it was Sinai. And now God's presence is a tent. But God's presence was leading them wherever they went. Wherever they went. Fast forward a few hundred years and the second king of Israel is King David. And when David finishes building this palace, he he builds himself this extraordinary palace. And when he gets done, he says, here I am living in this incredible house and the ark of God is in a tent. And he set up the plans to build the temple. The temple, he set aside this six acre plot of land where they could build the temple of God. And he sets out the plans, and then his son Solomon will take over and build it. And Solomon says this. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. How much less the temple I have built. See, the temple provides the people an opportunity to be near God. They go into the temple courts so they can be near the presence of God. Because the presence of God had gone from a cloud, to Mount Sinai, to a tent, and now the presence of God is a temple. And they knew that they could be near God because God would be there. But the downside of the temple is they thought that God was only there, and they stopped going to the temple. They stopped seeking God's presence. They stopped trying to be near God. And when God had finally had enough, He allowed foreign countries to come in, and these foreign countries, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple, and they took the Israelite people captive, and they were separated and isolated from God. But God continues his pursuit of humanity, and God says, I will become one of them. And that brings us to a small town, five miles outside of Jerusalem, in a town called Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18... It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now in our culture, it's acceptable to move in and out of engagement. If your daughter is engaged to be married and she decides somewhere along the way that this guy is a jerk, she can call off the engagement and you're going to give her a high five. You're going to go, okay, dump that loser, get rid of him. Well, engagement in that system in in the first century was different. The engagement was actually a legally binding commitment, and there would be a ceremony performed by the rabbi, and they at this point would be considered husband and wife during this waiting period, and abstinence was maintained until the official wedding ceremony. Well, it was during this waiting period that Mary finds out that she's pregnant, and Jesus enters the world with scandal. And what seems like a a minor plot of his birth becomes, becomes a major plot line of his ministry. And for the rest of his life, he will be entrenched in scandal. From the people that he eats with, tax collectors and sinners, to the people that he he surrounds himself with, standing up against the religious leaders of his day and teaching that the temple no longer has a monopoly on God's presence. Verse 19 goes on and it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. There was two options for, for Joseph. 
Option number one is he could have this public trial, which would have humiliated her. And according to Jewish law, if she was found guilty, they, would, they were supposed to stone her. But by the first century, they were no longer stoning for adultery. It was just something that had happened in their past. Or the second thing that he could do is he could divorce her privately so that she would not be publicly disgraced. And it says, because he was a righteous man, this is what he chose to do. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, I love this title because he's letting him know, Joseph, you have identity through God. You're part of what this promise that was made to David, and you're going to be part of the promise that's going to come through Jesus. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, I don't know if we fully understand how hard this would have been. Because he knew that even if he divorced her quietly, she would probably never marry again. But if he married her, his own reputation would now be on the line. It could ruin his own business. It could ruin his own good name. And people would whisper behind his back, and that's probably what happened for the rest of his life, is that people would snicker and sneer that his wife had cheated on him. And the angel said, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. And because the, the fathers always gave the name to the children, the angel said to him, you're to give him the name Jesus. The name Jesus means literally the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. Then in verse 22, it says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, this is a prophecy that comes out of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will give him the name Emmanuel. And Matthew wants us to know what this term means from the Old Testament prophecy, which means God with us. You see the progression. God's presence went from, from a cloud to tents, to the temple, and now God's presence is a manger. It's a person. It's a person. That God's pursuit to get closer and closer to his people now has a name. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. So what would you do in your life if you were convinced that God was fully present in your life? What would you do? Here's how it ends. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So here we are just a few weeks away from Christmas. It comes around every single year and it comes around faster and faster. What's this mean for us? See, here's what Christmas is. Here's what Christmas is. It is experiencing the presence of God. What would be different in your life if you were confident that God was fully present in your life? See, Christmas is experiencing the presence of God. I got an email a few months ago from a lady here at the church that she had gone through some incredibly difficult circumstances in her life, and she decided to end it all. She just couldn't take the pain anymore. And here's what she says, I quote. She said, as a last-ditch effort 
to make sense of all of this, I decided to come to the crossing. And God met her here. And on that day where she had planned to take her life, she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She said, that day saved my life in more than one way. See, that's the power of God's presence in our life. And so here's my goal for you this Christmas. Here's my goal, is that you would experience the presence of God. Because God has been on this relentless pursuit to get close to you. It's God with us. But here's the danger of Emmanuel, God with us. Is we forget the God part and we just think about the me part. See, the danger is, is that we can think that the whole point of God's redemptive plan was to join our thing, God with me. See, it's true that God is with you. That's true. That's a promise that God gives us from this prophecy. It's the last words that Jesus gives us. But Emmanuel is an invitation to join with God on his plan. That's what God's presence always was, is God's presence moved. It was an invitation to move with God. Maybe Emmanuel in our culture is better put that God is available all the time. That God wants to be fully present in your life. See, that's the new reality of Christmas. Is that God is available all the time. What would your life look like if you believed this is true, that you believed it? That the God of all creation is accessible to you at every moment throughout your day. See, Christmas is not just a reminder that God is dwelling among us. It's an invitation for us to join him where he's going, where he's moving. And instead of asking God to join your thing, what if you joined his plan? God says, I am with you. Now, come with me. I'm with you always. Now, I want you just to come with me. See, the way that Jesus said this is Jesus just told people, follow me. Just follow me. Just spend time with me. Jesus was never trying to manipulate people into believing in him. Jesus was never trying to convince them or coerce them or even to convert them. He just invited people to follow him. Spend time with him. Come and see. Because when you get close enough to Jesus, your life will change. And I know the pushback for some of you. Because some of you have this pushback because you know what your life is like and you know what you struggle with. So let me just tell you that, number one, that being a sinner does not disqualify you. That every single person who Jesus invited to follow him, every single person who said yes to Jesus was a sinner. The only people who resisted following Jesus were the people who thought that they were perfect on their own. Remember when Jesus invited Matthew to follow him? He didn't say, Matthew, get your life all cleaned up. When it's all cleaned up, you follow me. He, no, no, you just follow me. You just spend time with me. For some of you, you have all of these doubts about God. You have these doubts about the Christmas season. You, you come here full of doubts. Let me tell you, having doubts does not disqualify you either. You don't have to have all of your questions answered to follow Jesus. Just follow. Just begin to follow. Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God with us. It's his invitation 
into relationship. And this is huge. Because Christmas is not an invitation to obey the Ten Commandments. Christmas is not an invitation to finally get your life all together. Christmas is an invitation to just join God. See, here's what Jesus knew. That if you start loving Jesus, you'll start living differently. And Emmanuel is not just God's presence. It's an invitation to follow. It's an invitation to come alongside. It's an invitation to join what God is doing. That Christmas is to experience the presence of God, and it's moving towards him. It's beginning to see, okay, God, you're going there. I'm going to move with you. Every year we do a Christmas series. And the reason that we do this is to prepare our hearts for celebrating the birth of Jesus. See, many of you, you prepared your homes. I mean, you go crazy with the lights. I don't get that. I tell my wife, I'm not going to do that. You got the trees and the food and the music and the cookies. But we want to be even more intentional about preparing our hearts. This is the season in our church where the church calendar is called Advent. Maybe you grew up celebrating Advent. Advent starts four Sundays before Christmas, and it ends the night before Christmas. And it's meant to be a season of preparation, preparing our hearts for Jesus. Advent is defined as coming. It's his coming. And to prepare, I want to invite you to move towards him this year, to recognize his presence and to join him in what he's already doing. Jesus says, just follow me. Just get close to me. See, the promise is that God is with you, and God says, now come along with me. Let me take you on a journey. And so I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe some of you, it's starting a relationship with Jesus. You need to start a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is saying, follow me. You don't have to have every single question answered. Just get close to me. We have a room over here called the Commons. We have people here after the service who would love to talk to you about what your next step is with Jesus. Some of you, you followed Jesus a long time ago, but this is a reminder for you to join God's thing, for you to move in God's direction where God wants you to go. Let's pray together. God, this Christmas, we want to get this right. We thank you for Emmanuel, God with us, that God, this entire season is about your relentless pursuit of us to have a relationship with us. God, thank you for that promise. And now, God, we want to move towards you, towards where you're moving, towards what you're doing. And God, I, I just know there's some people in here who know that you are nudging them on what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to go. So God, we want to listen. God, thank you for this season of preparation. And so I pray that you would prepare our hearts for this coming of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.